So before we get started, uh, I was talking to Melody Osborne this week, and she had a testimony uh, on deliverance she was hoping to share if we were still talking about deliverance like we have been. And we're not going to be talking about deliverance today, but at some point we're going to be talking about the importance of sharing testimonies with other believers, not just the testimony of how you came to Christ, because that's not the only thing God does for you, but of all the things that God does for you throughout your life. It is good for us to share those things with each other. So before we get started, uh, Melody, you can come up here and share the testimony you would like to share. Good morning, everybody. So thank you, Josiah. Um, Yeah, so when he was talking about deliverance and we heard a couple of testimonies, uh, the Lord just put it on my heart. I really wanted to share this testimony of uh, deliverance in my life. And I have several testimonies like this, but, um, and if you want to know more, you can always ask me later. But this particular incident, happened, I believe, in our first year of marriage. Um, Cindy and I were laying in bed, and I was feeling this, um, I was feeling kind of worried and wasn't able to sleep, and I was also feeling a constriction or a tightness in in my throat. And um, uh, after talking through the things that I was worried about with Sydney, it still, that tightness wouldn't go away. So I was like, Sydney, maybe it's maybe it's a, a, a demon or you know something you know that has control over me, and so uh, and I had previously gone through uh, deliverance for other things, but um, and uh, praise God, Sydney was particularly filled with the Spirit that day, and he started praying, praying in tongues, and and the Lord gave him uh, this word that it was the spirit of uh, manipulation. And so I'm like, okay, let's cast out this spirit of manipulation. And then he's like, no, wait, you need to repent for it first. I'm like, okay, what, what does this mean? Like, what do I need to repent for? Have I been manipulating people or what is it? And um, he's like, no, it means like, like when you're trying to control Uh, be in control, and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense with anxiety, trying to control things that you're not supposed to be in control of, and and instead trusting the Lord, so, uh, and then when I began to repent for that, I felt like a strong force just pushing against me, and I really didn't want to repent for this, and that's something that um, demonic activity uh, does is just try to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. But um, as I did so, I kind of I pressed, pressed through with um, Sydney's support. And um, when I did, I sort of felt like a pain. It hurt at first. But then I felt like a release and just a, a deliverance. And um, what happened, the beautiful thing that also happened is God gave me like this vision of like scales kind of falling off of my body. And it kind of hurt. But then afterwards, Sydney hugged me and I felt 
more warmth of his love and of God's love for me than I had previously felt before. So it was almost like the scales that were keeping me, that were I put on to protect myself, that God stripped away, were also keeping me from feeling more of his love for me. And so I just wanted to share that with you, of just a beautiful uh, example of what God can do when we just obey him and, um, you know, the wonderful deliverance that he's given us. So praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Melody. All right, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to come together to worship you, uh, to hear of your greatness and to tell of your greatness, Lord. Uh, We thank you for this time to uh, hear from your word and to learn about um, what you have for us. We pray that you would bless the sermon. We pray that you would bless our learning and our growth. And we thank you for your grace and amen. So today we're continuing the series we've been doing called the GCF Vision. The vision or the GCF vision is a term that we use a lot, but we haven't had a thorough teaching on in a while, or not since Greg was teaching at RCF at Wright State. Uh, But I'm trying in this series to explain concisely yet thoroughly what exactly the GCF vision is. Hopefully that's been going well. Um, So anyways, the, the GCF vision is that there are certain aspects of Christianity that God wants Christians to rediscover and restore. And we're, we're focusing on five of them. Uh, the first one, having a biblically complete understanding of, experience of, and presentation of the gospel. Number two, being grace-based rather than performance-based. Number three, being reformed and charismatic. Number four, understanding the role, relevance, and responsibilities of the church. And number five, having a victorious eschatology. And again, we are not at all or in any way saying that uh, no churches excel in these things, but most churches don't excel in all five of these things. There's lots of churches that do well in one or two or do well in a different one or two, but there's not many churches, ourselves included, that do well at all five of these. But we are praying and seeking God to change that. So the GCF vision is a vision of restoration. We believe God will give grace to change that. So today we're continuing a subsection of this series called The Strengths of Charismatic Churches. We're on point number three of the series at large, being reformed and charismatic. At first we were doing kind of a study on the strengths of reformed churches, what I mean by reformed church. And uh, and then we started the subsection, The Strengths of Charismatic Churches. And so, and then after that, we're, next week, probably next week, we're going to look at the strengths and the synergy that comes from having a church culture that's both reformed and charismatic. There's a lot of synergy there uh, that needs examined. But there are certain qualities that I would use to describe a quote-unquote charismatic church. Uh, holding to continuationism rather than cessationism, believing the gifts of the Spirit are for today, they haven't ceased. Receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Pursuing and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. 
participating in spiritual warfare and deliverance, which is what we've talked about for the past two weeks. And then what we're going to be talking about today, having a culture of worship, prayer, and expectation. Expectation that God will do things, big things. So we're not going to do, I'm not going to teach in great detail on each of these things, worship, prayer, and expectation, because I've covered them in more detail recently, previously, in sermons from December of last year. Um, But we're going to talk about it, because it's important. It's important that we have or develop a culture of worship, prayer, and expectation. That is an important strength that charismatic churches tend to have. So we may as well bother to define culture. Um, Culture is the perceived norms shared by a group of people. These perceived norms are both influenced by everyone in the group and influence everyone in the group. And these perceived norms are usually defaulted to in regards to thoughts and choices if the individual does not have a reason to do otherwise. So because of that, culture can have a powerful effect on people. Or if people, for some reason, if a person doesn't like their culture, um, you know, they can mitigate the influence it has. But culture can be good or bad, helpful or unhelpful. Uh, But just like when we were studying the strengths of Reformed churches, the last thing we looked at is the importance of having a culture of studying the Bible and theology diligently, uh, we're going to end our part on the strengths of charismatic churches with how important it is to have a culture of worship, prayer, and expectation. And we need to have a culture that emphasizes both. We shouldn't emphasize theology above worship and prayer, and we also shouldn't emphasize worship and prayer above God's word. We really need to emphasize all of it. So let's start with this idea of having a culture of worship. Let's examine that a bit deeper or talk about that a bit more. What's the importance of having a culture of worship? What benefit could it bring? Why is it important that we have a culture of worship? Uh, There's a few things I want to mention about that, you know, why we should worship regularly. Uh, The first one is that worship tends to bring more of the power of God into our lives, There is supernatural power in worship, and when we frequently have worship, we can start to more frequently see the power of God. Let's look at uh, some verses that show the power of prayer, or of worship. Acts 16, verses 25 through 26. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now God had in mind to, uh, to set Paul and Silas free in this way. He could have chosen to do it any time. He could have done it the day before. He could have done it the day after. But he chose to do it when they were worshiping. He chose to do it when they were singing praises to him. Let's also look at 2 Chronicles uh, 5, verses 11 through 14. When the priests came out from the holy place, for all, so this is the dedication of the temple, 
uh, by the way. So when the priests came out from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions, and all of the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman, Judathan, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets in unison when the trumpeteers and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord when they had raised their voices, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other musical instruments. And when they praised the Lord, saying, He is good, for his kindness is everlasting, then the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so the priests could not rise to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So you know, they encountered God's presence, God's glory in a special way at the dedication of the temple, but the Bible clearly points out the timing of it being when they started to praise and worship. It says, then the house, right after they started the praise and the worship. Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with God's glory to the extent that the priests could hardly bear to minister in it. Let's also look at 2 Chronicles 20, verses 20 through 22. And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Israel. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire, and they went before the army. Now, I've never been in war, I've never been in the army, but uh, this sounds kind of strange, to send people without weapons out before the army the people with weapons in a war. That's abnormal. But they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the, man, the men of Ammon Moab and Mount Seir that had come against Judah so that they were rooted or they were all killed. They all died in battle. So God delivered Israel without Israel even having to engage in physical warfare. When they started to praise and worship. Now that's not how things always went for Israel, but in general we see a pattern that there is literal tangible power in praise and worship. And it is something we need to take advantage of. It's something we need to access. It's something we need to utilize. We need to be seeking to rely on God and his strength, not on ourselves and our strength. And one of the ways to seek to rely on his strength more is through prayer and worship, or praise and worship and prayer. You know, there's a reason why at deliverance meetings or meetings where we're praying for someone to get healed, we start with a time of worship, typically a prolonged time of worship before we even start 
uh, the deliverance part or praying for someone's healing because there's power in worship. So one of the benefits of having a culture of regular worship is that we'll see more of God's power. The next uh, benefit of having a culture of worship or why it's important that we have a culture of worship is it, it tends to lead to greater enjoyment of God. So worship is often one of the most effective ways to enjoy God's glory. And when we worship frequently, we will have a tangibly greater enjoyment of God than if we don't worship frequently. Uh, Let's start out by looking at some verses that talk about uh, the enjoyment that we can have in God's glory, especially in worship. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In God's presence there is fullness of joy. That's not because of all the stuff God owns. That's because of God himself. God is the object of that enjoyment. Because we were made to enjoy God. We were created to enjoy him. Let's also look at Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, or it is pleasing, or it is enjoyable. And a song of praise is fitting. Let's also look at Psalm 43, verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. So we were all made to enjoy God, and there's various ways we can enjoy God's glory uh, in prayer or in Bible reading or just meditating on him and his attributes or what he's done for us or giving thanks to him. But one of the... um, you know, especially in my life, uh, most tangible or practical ways to really enjoy God is in worship and in praise. I think, I can remember I used to not think that worship and praise were fun. I used to think, well, it's just a task I got to do. I go to church. I'm waiting to leave. I guess we got to praise. Can I eat lunch yet? Um, and that was my thoughts. But that was before, you know, God really got a hold of my heart. That was back when I lived for myself. But after I came to really understand God's love and how glorious God is, I was kind of caught off guard by it, but I started to realize praising God is fun. Whoa, who'd have thought? And then that gradually increased more and more and more. Like praising God can be really enjoyable it can frankly be one of the most enjoyable things there is. But that will be affected by how close your relationship with God is. But there's been times of uh, praise and worship that have just been honestly some of the most enjoyable times I've had in life. And my life isn't a boring life. (laughs) It's not because I don't have fun things to do. That's because worshiping God has just been super satisfying and enjoying to really come into his presence and 
and to feel and know how great his love is and how awesome he is. It's one of the most enjoyable and satisfying things there is. So that's the second benefit that I want to mention about having a culture of regular worship. The third one, maybe this one's the most important one, it probably is, but worship is pleasing to God. God is pleased by our worship. God enjoys our worship. Not only does he give us the grace that we get to enjoy it, but he enjoys it. God wants people to worship him. Let's look at John verses John chapter 4:23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God wants people to worship him. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What do we do when we worship and praise? We proclaim God's excellencies. This is God wants a people for himself who will proclaim his excellencies, who will sing about him and enjoy him, who will live for him and know how great and awesome he is. And he enjoys that. He enjoys our praising him. So it's, it's valuable. It's a valuable thing to develop a culture of regular praise and worship as a church. Frankly, something's wrong if we don't have a culture of worship and praise, regular worship and praise, because God wants the church to be a people to proclaim his excellencies. So if worship is infrequent in our culture as a church, that's a problem. Worship should be very frequent, very regular. So how can we develop more of a culture of worship? We have uh, somewhat of a culture of worship, but we can always do better. Um, There's three things that I think particularly would help to develop more of a culture of worship as a church, Uh, or for any church that wants to develop more of a culture of worship. But the first one is incorporating worship or worship and praise into your everyday life. You know, you can praise God at any moment of the day. And in modern times, we can do it somewhat easily, because even if you don't have songs memorized, you have Spotify. (laughs) Or YouTube, or, you know, your app of choice. Or if you want to be old-fashioned, an MP3 player. (laughs) (laughs) Or a hymnal. But anyways, we we can incorporate worship into our everyday life. If you want to have more worship, it's not necessarily something you have to sacrifice a large amount of time to do. One of the easier ways to start worshiping more is to start incorporating it into like when you're doing chores. You can be praising God. This is something I see Teresa doing a lot. When she um, has time set aside for doing dishes or for cleaning the house, she'll play music, worship music on the TV and sing along. Just very regularly. That's just her pattern for doing chores. You can work worship into most tasks that you do in the day. 
whether it be driving in the car or doing chores or maybe at your job, depending on what your job is, um, there's plenty of opportunity to worship God throughout the day. And not just um, while doing other things, but we can and should have times set aside just for worship. Worship is important, and worship is enjoyable, and we should set aside time for it. I'm not going to tell you how much time or how often to set aside time for it, but if we don't have any time set aside for it, that might be a problem. The second way we can cultivate more of a culture of worship is to, you know, have worship meetings. But an easier way to have worship meetings, so sometimes you can get bogged down by trying to do things formally organized, like we're going to have this meeting in this building at this time, and, you know, it, we have to plan it, you know, four weeks ahead, and we have to announce it, and, you know, planning stuff like that is inconvenient, but something much more convenient is when you're hanging out with your friends or you're doing something, you can just have worship. If you have people over to hang out or to play video games or for a bonfire, you can choose to just have a time of worship right then. It doesn't have to be your entire time of hanging out, but you can incorporate it into any group activity with other Christians. Or if it's a Friday night and you have nothing else to do, you can call people up Hey, do you want to worship? But we could, you know, I think having small casual worship meetings is just a convenient, powerful, practical way to have more worship. You don't even have to know how to play an instrument. Teresa and I regularly have small casual worship meetings, and we just play YouTube videos on the TV, and they come with lyrics built in, and they're great. They're awesome. They're powerful worship meetings. They're very enjoyable. but we can have small, casual worship meetings at any time. You don't even have to plan it ahead. The third thing we should do to have more of a culture of worship is seeking to know God's heart. So I mentioned that I didn't used to enjoy worship, but then I started to enjoy it more and more. And there are certain things that affect whether or not a person will enjoy worship or how meaningful times of worship will be for them, but one of the biggest factors that affect how meaningful your times of worship are going to be is how well you know God's heart. If you have struggles to accurately perceive God's love, worship isn't going to be very enjoyable. And, you know, that makes sense. Coming into the presence of a great, mighty, powerful, awesome God who's holy and just, but maybe doesn't love you? That doesn't sound fun. That sounds scary. So if we struggle to accurately perceive God's love, that's going to affect our worship. But the more accurately we know God's love, the more accurately we know his heart, the more enjoyable and the more real our worship will be. The more we know what God wants and what God thinks and what God feels and how glorious and how beautiful and awesome he is, the more passionate and enjoyable, the more meaningful all worship will be. You know, singing a love song about your significant other is much more fun the more in love with them you are. 
singing a love song about someone you're not in love with isn't fun. (laughs) But when someone's really in love with their significant other, you can't get them to stop. (laughs) So if we want to have more of a culture of worship, we should seek to know God deeper. So I went a bit over my allotted time on that, but that's fine. Um, So the next thing I wanted to talk about is having a culture of prayer. We also need to have a culture of regular prayer as a church. So why do we need to have a culture of prayer? What's so important about it? Why does it make a difference? Uh, The first thing I would have to say about that is prayer is God's design for how his church is intended to operate, how Christians should operate in life. Prayer is a huge part of God's design for us. So the scriptures talk about specific blessings that God wants to give us, but that he wants to give in response to prayer and not apart from prayer. That's a very important distinction to understand. God has many gifts, a myriad of gifts he wants to give us, but there's a number of them that he wants to give to us in response to prayer and not apart from prayer. Uh, Let's look at uh, some things that God wants to give us through prayer. Wisdom, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Peace. Let's look at Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Deliverance. Sometimes deliverance can only happen by prayer. Sometimes. Let's look at Mark 9, verses 28 through 29. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Victory over sin. Let's look at Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Healing. Let's look at James 5.15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And you know, lastly, and this is not a comprehensive list by any by any means, but the last thing I want to point out on this list is mercy over entire nations. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So these are all things, gifts God wants to give us, but that he wants to give in response to prayer and not apart from prayer. But God already knows all our needs, so why does he want us to pray? What's the point? Why does he have 
things he desires us to benefit from, he desires us to enjoy, that he specifically wants to give in response to prayer, not apart from prayer. Because we know that's the point. It says in James 4, 2, uh, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, but you do not have because you do not ask. So prayer is important to God, and one of the reasons it's important to God is because it glorifies him. There are things that God could do uh, that he would be more glorified if he did them in response to prayer than if he did them apart from prayer. So how does that work? Um, Well, there's a few ways that God giving us things in response to prayer rather than apart from it leads to him being more glorified. For one thing, prayer honors God and it helps us to stay humble. When we seek God for his power and his wisdom rather than uh, him just giving it to us without us seeking him, that helps us to keep an attitude of God is strong and God is wise and I need him rather than what we would probably default to, I'm strong, I'm wise, yeah. Because, you know, that's what we default to as humans. But prayer honors God and it helps us to stay humble. Prayer makes it clear that God acted and it wasn't just us and it wasn't just a coincidence. And not just that, but prayer helps us to reflect the glory of God, which is what he wants us to do, because, you know, it's God's design to conform us to the image of his Son, And one of the glorious ministries of God the Son is to intercede on behalf of others. He is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So we reflect the glory of Christ when we intercede for others. But anyways, I don't have time to go too deep in detail on that. But if you would want to learn more about that, you can check out... uh, a sermon called The Purpose and Power of Prayer on our website. So prayer is part of God's design for his church and for how we should operate. Uh, But uh, besides that, there's two main reasons why it's important that we develop a culture of prayer, of regular prayer as a church. Uh, The number one reason, if we have a culture of regular prayer, we'll have more answers to prayer. You know, we already looked at James 4.2 that says we do not have because we do not ask, which is really the same truth from Matthew 7.7, but stated differently. Matthew 7.7 saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. But I also want to point out, uh, it is important that we have a culture of prayer as a church because praying, believers praying together has a certain power or synergy to it that we don't get from praying alone, even though we should be praying alone as well. Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20 says, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There are plenty of God's gifts that we would see more of if we prayed for them more. People coming to Christ more often, more healings, more wisdom, more victory over sin. These are all very important things that we daily would like to see more of. But we need to make sure we're regularly praying for them. 
Because again, we do not have because we do not ask. Or maybe another way to look at that, we do not have as much as we could because we do not ask as much as we should. The scriptures are very clear that we won't see good things like these as much as we otherwise might see them if we're not regularly praying for them. You know, the Holy Spirit is drawing people to God. Even if we don't spend any time in prayer, people will still come to Christ because God is going to bring them. But then again, we'd also see people coming to Christ, just not in our church, if we didn't evangelize at all. But we'll see it more often if we pray and if we evangelize. So more answers to prayer, more good things. That's one of the benefits of having a culture of regular prayer. Another important benefit of it is greater intimacy with God. We grow close to God when we spend time in prayer because prayer is conversation with God. And God wants to have a close, intimate relationship with us. You know, it's, it's really quite amazing that God calls us his children. One of the most amazing things about it isn't that it, you know, the idea of God being our father and us being his children, it's not that it reflects the loving, close relationship that an earthly father has with an earthly son. It's that it's the same term that God uses to describe God the father's relationship with God the son. And that is an intimate relationship. Much more so than any earthly father has ever had with any earthly son. But God wants us to be close to him, and when we spend time in prayer, we grow closer to God. We grow more intimate with God. If, if you don't feel like you have a close relationship with God, one of the areas you should examine in your life is your prayer life. If you don't spend much time in prayer, that's probably at least part of why you don't feel like you have a close relationship with God. But anyways, those are two very important benefits of having a culture of regular prayer. More answers to prayer and greater closeness with God. So how can we cultivate more of a culture of prayer? Um, so there's three things I want to emphasize of what it takes to cultivate more of a culture of prayer. The first one is that we need to come to deeply understand God's design for us to be reliant on him. It's a very important to notice pattern in the scriptures that God designed us to be reliant on him. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's worth examining and thinking about what does it mean God's power is made perfect in weakness. It definitely doesn't mean that God's power is made more powerful because God's power is infinite. 
You can't add to it. God doesn't become more powerful because of our weakness, but God's power becomes more visible because of our weakness. That's what it means God's power is perfected in weakness. Not that it becomes more powerful, it becomes more visible. But God designed us to be reliant on him because it shows his power. Let's also look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's the more we understand God's purpose and wanting us to rely on him, the more it will make sense to spend time in prayer. And the naturally, uh, the more natural and the easier it will be to prioritize prayer. We need to really understand and have it part of our outlook on life that God wants us to rely on him. That there is value in and of itself in relying on God because it brings him glory. So we need to deeply understand that. The second thing we can do to cultivate more of a culture of prayer is to have daily, daily set-aside time for prayer. All Christians should have daily set-aside time for prayer because prayer is something we need daily. It's part of building a close relationship with God. You know, if a, if a husband and a wife have the potential to talk to each other daily, they're not separated by distance, but they go days without talking to each other, that's probably not a close relationship. And unless that changes, it's not going to become a close relationship. And if they just talk to each other in passing, um, but they don't have set-aside time to talk to each other, again, that's probably not a close relationship, and at that rate, it's probably not going to become a close relationship. But not only do we need daily prayer because of our relationship with God, but we need daily prayer because we need God's power daily. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That implies we should be daily asking God for real power in practical areas. We need daily prayer. Every Christian should have some set-aside amount of time for prayer, daily. Jesus had very regular time to pray by himself. He frequently just left uh, in the middle of you know, people seeking him out just to get alone to pray. The third thing we can do to cultivate more of a culture of prayer is to have times of prayer when you're with other Christians. And again, just like having a casual, uh, sort of spontaneous, or maybe spontaneous worship meetings with other Christians, you can do that with prayer. And they don't have to be long. One of the most effective ways to build more of a culture of prayer is to have prayer that isn't always formally organized. You know, when you get together just to hang out with someone or multiple people or get together for lunch with a Christian friend, you can have a short time of prayer while here together. And having short but focused times of prayer frequently can make a real difference, especially in helping us to build a culture of prayer which the church in Acts definitely had. You know, it says in Acts, I think, chapter 2, that the believers in Acts regularly got together and were devoted to prayer. The church needs to be devoted to prayer. Each local church needs to be devoted to prayer. 
All right, uh, let's get to the last part of the sermon. Having a culture of expectation. So we want to have a culture of regular worship. We want to have a culture of regular prayer. And we want to have a culture of having high expectation or regular active expectation that God is going to do things in our midst, that God is going to answer prayer, that God wants to answer prayer, that God has gifts to give us. So why does it matter whether or not we have expectation that God will do great things? Does that even make a difference? The Bible seems to say it makes a big difference. Let's look at Matthew 13, verses 57 and 58. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his home hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's also look at um, Matthew fourteen twenty seven through 29. We'll get back to that about Jesus' hometown in just a second. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. Now I think it's good that Peter uh, wasn't presumptuous and didn't just say, Jesus is walking water, I'm going to walk on water. He asked, but it it, it shows his expectation that he asked. He had expectation that Jesus would maybe say yes, or that Jesus just would say yes. He had expectation that it would be possible. He had expectation that God would be willing to grant that. And he had expectation that God had the power to grant that. If Peter didn't have any expectation that God was going to do great things, he probably wouldn't have asked that. And if he hadn't had asked that, he wouldn't have gotten to walk on water. But how can we... So having... Hey, let's also look at James 5.15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So it does make a difference whether or not we have expectation that God will do great things. We will see more of God's power. We will see God move more often and in greater ways if we have expectation to, that he will. It's really worth thinking about you know, the principle from in Jesus' hometown that he didn't do many mighty works there. But how can we cultivate a culture of expectation? Uh, there's two things that I think we should do to develop more of a culture of expectation. Uh, the first thing we can do is we can, you know, pray that God will help us to trust him more. Prayer is useful in every area of life. And that includes, you know, any area of spiritual growth. So if we want to trust God more, if we want to have more expectation that God is going to move, that God is going to do great things, we should pray that God would help us to have greater expectation. We should pray that God would help us to trust him more. And the second thing I think we should do, we should be regularly sharing testimonies with each other. We should be regularly sharing with each other what God is doing in our lives and what God has done. So in Jesus' hometown, there wasn't much faith, and so he didn't do many miracles. 
But in contrast to that, most places where Jesus went, he did several miracles. There's multiple places where Jesus went where it says he healed everyone who was sick there or everyone who came to him and was sick and cast demons out of everyone who came to him and was afflicted with demons. Most places that Jesus went to, people did have faith in Jesus to heal. But why? Why did they have faith? Uh, It seems to be in the scriptures because of how quickly testimonies spread of what Jesus did. You know, Jesus would go to certain towns and do great things and kind of try to keep the news from spreading like wildfire. And sometimes he would say, you know, don't go telling everyone about this. And people did it anyways. And news spread, testimonies spread, such that many people had expectation. That's why so many people came to see Jesus. Expectation developed in huge proportion because of the spreading of testimony. No, it really makes a difference that we share with each other when God is doing great things in our lives. Don't just keep it to yourself. Sharing uh, testimonies of what God has done and is doing in our lives is one of the most powerful weapons we have against unbelief and against lack of expectation or low expectation. If we as a church want to have a culture of expecting God to do great things, then we also need to develop a culture of sharing testimonies with each other. That needs to become a regular thing if we want to, on a practical level, actually have a culture of expectation. It's very important. If God is doing something in your life, you should share it with those around you. We need to strengthen each other's faith by sharing testimonies. So it's important that we develop a culture of expectation. But uh, in conclusion, I just want to say two things. We are each responsible for influencing our, our culture as a church. We all have influence on the culture, whether we realize it or not, because that's how culture works. Everyone in a group influences it. Everyone in the group, to at least some degree, is influenced by it. We all have the ability to influence our culture as a church, and we should take advantage of that, that responsibility, to, um, to help us as a church have more of a culture of worship, of prayer, and of expectation. We need to have those things regularly. And we all can work towards that. We all can be taking uh, part in more regular worship, more regular prayer, in sharing our testimonies with each other. So let's close in prayer, and then we'll get to the communion meditation. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, just for your grace um, in our lives, Lord. We thank you for the great many gifts you have for us and the great plan that you have for us, Lord. We thank you that you have so many gifts to give us and that even though you want to give them in response to prayer, you won't just tolerate us not praying and therefore not receiving them. You work in us to bring us to pray. You draw us close to you. You uh, 
you show us the benefits that would come from praying, and you motivate us to pray. You move by your spirit in us, Lord. Please help us to respond to you uh, with the power of your grace, Lord. We pray that we would have more of a culture of worship, more of a culture of prayer, and more of a culture of expectation that you will do great things, Lord. Please raise our expectations and help us to trust you, Lord. Please do mighty things among us, and please help us to share our testimonies. We thank you for all that you're going to do, and amen.